We're going to be reading 1 John 5, 1 through 3. It's up on the board. I'm going the old-fashioned way this morning. But first, let's pray. God, thank you for this day, and um, thank you for giving us the opportunity and the privilege to look into your word, God, to um, delve into your word. Um, God, I pray that you would uh, just speak through me, use my mouth to glorify you, to draw us closer to you. Um, and God, I pray that you would, through, through this message this morning, that you would change lives of those here. In your name I pray, amen. First John 5, 1 through 3. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So we're going to hop back right quick and go to John, 1 John 4, 7 through 12, probably just a page back. 7 through 12, and then 19 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Then 19 through 21, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So I, as I was reading through this, I, verse 1 says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So I said, I was thinking, why, you know, why did John say, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God? Probably whoever's reading this, the majority of people are going to know that, um, that if you've accepted Christ, you know, you're a son of God or daughter of God. Um, but this, so it seems just kind of a basic fact, right? But John, I believe John writes this to preface preface what's going to come in the next few verses so if we're going to love fellow believers we're supposed to love everybody but if we're going to love fellow believers especially we have to know who they are right so i want to just talk for a second about how we can how we know how to love others so if i'm gonna laza and i babysit the carnets the other night and so one of the ways we know how to one of the ways i know how to best work with littler kids is to watch how Liza does it because she's amazing. So, so as humans, we, we imitate other people. You can look, a baby imitates his older sister and a, I would imitate Cody or something like that. Hopefully all good examples, right? <laughs> but anyway, we imitate other people. So we're going to, to best see how to care for maybe a baby, we're going to watch how its mom or dad treats it, hopefully. Um, and so the best the best way to know how to love others is to get to know God first and foremost. So, because it, it's not until we get to know God first that we're going to know how to love others best. 
So I just want to look quickly at and just clarify what qualifies you as a child of God. What qualifies someone as a child of God? So John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 8.42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. And then Romans 10.9 is my favorite. And I think all of us here probably have this memorized. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In 1 John 4.15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So there we have four different verses about what defines a child of God. And really quickly, I just want to look at, while we're here, if you'll jump to um, John 3, well, we all know John 3.16, but if you'll go to 1 John 3.16, this is a really neat comparison that I found while I was studying um, that God just showed me, I think. So we have John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So that's showing the old, God the ultimate demonstration of love, God sending his only son to earth to die for us. Then you go to 1 John 3.16, which says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for, the, for our brothers. This verse tells us what we should do for others because of what God did for us. So I just thought that was really cool. Both John, both John 3.16s speak about, the first one talks about, the ultimate gift of love and the second one talks about because of the ultimate gift of love what we should do for others so i want to move on to verse two by this we know that by this we know that we love the children of god when we love god and obey his commandments so when we love god enough to do what he commands us to do regarding others we know that we're loving others and we're not none of us are perfect for sure but god's commandments dictate actions that have others best interests in mind so if we look at all the commandments throughout scripture i'm going to read exodus 20 here in just a second and um titus 2 1 through 8 we can see that that god's commandments while protecting and benefiting us also have others in mind so exodus 20 1 through 17 and god spoke all these words saying i'm the lord your god who brought you out of the land of egypt out of the house of slavery you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. That definitely has others in mind. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not 
You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. I would say the overall feeling of this, while it protects us, and it also says, let's take, for example, you shall not steal. That's definitely protecting us. But what if, what if I were to, let's not use me as an example. What if person A were to take a, a pack of gum from H-E-B, right? And some little person is standing there and sees them do it. Bad example, not a good example. So example-wise, it's, it's helping us live uprightly to, so that when others watch us, because we're all being watched all the time, it's a little scary, people see our example. Um, and then Titus 2, 1 through 8. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-control, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects. Pay attention to this verse. I think it really demonstrates well our example. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having, another, having, having nothing evil to say about us. So I love Titus. We've been memorizing it in, in fire. And I started before in fire about late November. I'm still working on it. Like, slacker. Bad. Slacker. But it's a really, it's, everyone should read through Titus all the time because it's a fantastic book and each chapter is just loaded with ugh, good stuff really great wisdom and insight into how we should live both t- chapter one talks about the qualities of an elder and a deacon which i think should apply to any guy and then chapter two talks about um older women training the young women and also older men being upright good examples um so and then a couple let's see a couple weeks ago mr renfro talked at the Clarks, um, and he was giving a list of one another commands. And I wrote these down, and I think it just, a lot of them are mentioned in the two passages that we read, but I want to read them because I think it clarifies it, and I think it helps us, it helps me to just simplify it down and to see what, what, um, how we, how we care for one another's, one another in our actions, I guess. Love one another. Give preference to one another, be devoted to one another, accept one another, be of the same mind towards one another, serve one another, show tolerance towards one another, admonish one another, wait for one another. There are a lot of one another's. Be kind to one another, be subject to one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, comfort one another, build one another up. Confess your sins to one another, be hospitable, be hospitable to one another, and bear one another's burdens. So, and I believe, Mr. Infer, I'm, I would, I'm 99.9% sure that he pulled those out of scripture. So, I'm 100% sure. So, so there we have it. How those are, that's just a great simple list that just lays it out there how we're supposed to care for one another.
So we're not perfect, and we're not going to keep every one of these. But it's the continual striving that we do um, that we want to keep looking for, asking ourselves if we're doing in our own lives. So I wrote down here, complacency is the enemy of change and growth. So it's that second, I'm going to read a quote out of a book here by Paul Tripp in a bit, but he's saying that when we become complacent in our lives and we think, oh, we're good, nothing's going to happen to me, I feel good right here, that's, bam, right then, as when something's going to happen. We're going to, that's kind of the descent, I guess you could call it, really. Um, So we always want to be on our guard. We always want to be asking ourselves, you know, how am I doing in my relationships with others? How am I doing in my relationship with God? First John, I want to read First John 2, 3 through 6. By this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, sorry, let me step that over. By this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So I'm going to, we go back to the, to the fact and the kind of image that we imitate what we see, who we see, who we admire. And this is, this is, this, these Three, three verses, verse six, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So if we value Christ above all else, he's the one we should be imitating. His practices, his commands, the way he treated those around him. And he's the way we should, not only that we should be looking up to, but that we should be training the next generation to look up to. So Asa, Liza, Chandler, um, and the one that, you know, we should always be asking ourselves, again, self-examining ourselves and saying, you know, do we, is Jesus our, our ultimate, the ultimate model of how we want to treat others around us? Verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For this is the love of God. So I was looking up this, this word love and, um, in this verse, and it's agape love, so unconditional love. But it's the kind of love that says, I don't want or and I don't need anything back kind of love. So it's self-sacrificial love. Um, I was reading in uh, an expository dictionary, and it said, Christian love has God for its primary object and expresses itself, first of all, in implicit obedience to his commands. So that's pretty simple right there. God should be our primary object of love. And not only did it say that, but it is this kind of, this love in this verse, let's see if I can find it in here, is an imitative kind of love. So for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. We... We read John three six, or we recited John three sixteen, but this love this verse for this is the love of God. That love is the, the the love that John's writing about right there is imitative. God's love is 
worth imitating and should be imitated um, to those around us. Webster's 1828 Dictionary. If y'all don't own one of those, just you need to. (laughs) Webster's 1820. It's the only, some people accept it as the only credible dictionary, so don't use any definitions if it's not from Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Um, So the definition, though, um, the, the expository dictionary, though, went on to say, when we seek our own pleasure and what would be fun for us, I Fun for us. I added that part. But when we seek, when we seek our own pleasure, what's what's self-pleasing? Um, we're negating our love for God. So for those of you, maybe like I was negating, you know, negative. You know, it probably means something like it cancels out or something. But I looked up the, the definition in Webster's, and it said the definition for negation is denial, a declaration that something is not. I thought, whoa, that's when we seek what we want, what we think would be pleasing to us, we're denying, we're declaring that we are more important than God. That's, that's really scary. That's a scary place to be. Um, we're taking God off the throne in our hearts and putting ourselves in his place. Eric Ludy, who's a pastor in Colorado and phenomenal speaker and author, um, and this book that I'm going to read out of that I'm reading a quote from is called God's gift to women. And it's basically about, it's not being cocky that guys are God's gift to women, but it's, um, it's about basically God's, um, God's definition of masculinity. It's the best one of probably in my top three books. And it's a must read for anybody, probably maybe like 18 and older or 17 and older, but it's, phenomenal. Um, and if you're a guy, you must read it before you're married for sure. Um, so Eric Ludy said, we're capable of protecting and serving only one ruler. Whoever sits as king within our command center is that one ruler. Whoever occupies that sacred position is crowned our dearest friend, our greatest love, and our personal biographer of life and manhood. I'm going to read that one more time. Let it sink in. We're capable of protecting and serving only one ruler. Whoever sits as king within our command center is that one ruler. Whoever occupies that sacred position is crowned our dearest friend, our greatest love, and our personal biographer of life and manhood. So we can either have ourselves, or we can have God sitting on the throne of our hearts. And... We know that the heart is desperately wicked. And so I, you know, having God on the throne of your heart is definitely the wise way to go. Um, but our actions are really going to show that our actions can determine and show uh, ourselves, if we are honest with ourselves and others, who's really sitting on the throne of our hearts. Is it us or is it God? And if God's there, it's going to be much easier, this part about our personal biographer of life and manhood. You know, a biographer chronicles the events that happen in one's life. And it's going to be much easier when, both now when we're seeing what's going on around us and when we're older, to look back, if God's on our hearts, to look back in our heart, to look back and see that 
how he was working in these different situations. And, but if we're on the throne of our heart, when those situations are going on and in the future, if we're, we're still, if our self is on the throne of our heart, you know, it's, we're, I mean, we're not going to be able to look at it with the right perspective. So Paul Tripp said, let me get this book out. This book is called, what did you expect? And it's really, really good. I mean, another one of my top three books for sure. Um, I have maybe, well, I, you know, I worked for Lamplighter for a while, and Mark Hanvey says every new audio drama that comes out, there's 16 of them now, he says, oh, this is my favorite one. So, oh. And then if you talk about one in the past, he's like, oh, that's just my favorite ever. So, so I have not as many as he does. But, no, but this for sure, everybody has to read this. I mean, it is a must read. And that he also says that. I think I'm... He's rubbing off on me, but here we go. Paul Tripp says, when I fail to love God as I should, I insert myself into his position, desiring to be sovereign over my little kingdom of one and demanding that those around me do my bidding. If I'm not loving God as my king, I'll set up my own kingdom and live for myself. Just a really powerful quote and something that I think we all can tend to do if, if our, if we're not constantly in the word if our if we're not constantly immersing ourselves in in god's what god tells us um so so i have an example here and so when we a lot of times you know if we like someone or even if it's just a family member that we really like we're gonna do whatever they want so we're gonna get them a drink we're gonna oh you want to borrow my car for the weekend sure oh Oh, you need me to run to the next state for a book? No problem. So, so, but, but, um, so we're willing to do about anything for the people we care for. So I want to ask you a question, and this is something you keep asking yourself, and I'm asking myself. Um, but do we value God so highly that we'll do whatever he calls us to do? We won't hesitate to do something for someone we love. So why would we hesitate to do something for the one who created us in his image and loves us perfectly and who died for us? So that's, it's a hard question. It's not, you know, it's not always easy to answer that. Um, especially when we get off center. Um, Paul Tripp also wrote, worship is your first identity before it is ever your activity. You are, we all are worshipers. So everything we think, desire, choose, do, or say is shaped by worship. This goes back to what I was saying a little bit earlier about we can tell by our actions who we're worshiping. I mean, it's that, it's, it's, uh, and maybe nobody else can tell, you know? Maybe, maybe in public we might act just fine, but in private, I, I was um, reading a reading a book a couple weeks ago, and we probably most of us have probably heard this. But the statement, the quote goes something like, "A man is his only a man is only as good as he is in the private of his own home." Something like that. Whoa, that's I love that quote. It's powerful. So, so watch your actions, and then take note of them, and see, you know. See, who am I ask 
Who am I worshiping? Is it God or is it me? And I want to look at the end of that, of 1 John 5, 3. And his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So I really wanted to get a bunch of backpacks up here, one loaded with rocks and one empty and then one with nothing. And then nothing. Um, so two backpacks and nothing. Have Chandler up here and Tim and Ezra. Um, but you're just going to have to picture it. So just imagine, Tim, Ezra, Chandler. Um, and sometimes, you know, God's commandments, especially when we're young, I think, might feel burdensome. Oh, honor my father and mother, dear me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but, you know, they're really not burdensome. And hopefully, hopefully you get wiser as, hopefully we get wiser as we get older. And if... You know, as we as we keep studying God's word, we eventually, I think we have, we more and more come to see that God's burden, that God's commandments really aren't burdensome, and they protect us from burdens that the world would put on us. Right? So you heard the story of Corey Ten Boom, and was asking her dad a question on a railroad platform, and he said, "So she said, Daddy, what does that mean? Um, I don't remember what it was about, but he said, Corey, if I were to." have this big suitcase here and I put it down on the platform for you to carry, you wouldn't be able to carry it. And I don't want you to, I don't want to discuss this heavy subject because that'd be like giving you this massive suitcase and having you try to carry it off the platform. So God's commandments protect us from the baggage that we can get if we're not following them. Um, so Ephesians 6, 1, this is just, this is an example of one of, the commandments children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So if we don't, if we're not, and I'm kind of talking to like my age and me, um, but if we don't honor our parents and simply ignore them and maybe think like, Oh, we know better than we, than they do <coughs> in parentheses. Uh huh. Yeah. I don't think so. Um, but anything can happen. And it's been really amazing to have my parents in my life just speaking into me and all the, really all the parents here. Um, and uh, it was, it's really scary to think where I would be if I, you know, hadn't listened to them or had, hadn't paid attention to what they were advising me to do. And it's a blast being where I am now. Um, and I wouldn't, I really don't think I'd be there except for their counsel and advice. So if we, if we allow our parents to speak into, the, into, into us, um, we're going to benefit. It, I, I promise we will. Um, and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's one of the Ten Commandments. So this, so this is just one commandment that has a positive effect on us. So in, in life, it's kind of like... I trying to think of a picture for this for god's commandments not being burdensome and just imagine some of y'all were at um gettysburg a couple weeks ago so you saw massive fields but imagine a huge field and in this field are like hedgerows and some barbed wire fencing and you're gonna have to get over all of this stuff somehow so I think it's much easier to get over the stuff in life if you are 
following God's commands and you don't have any baggage to get over it. If you have a 50-pound bag trying to get over a barbed wire fence, that's tough. So follow God's commands and the ba- a lot of the baggage of life will be left off. Okay, so we've seen that love is a central theme in John 5, 1 John 5, and really throughout the entire book. Um, but now that we've kind of gone into each verse, I want to give just 10 practical steps of how we can show love to others. So, so these are just 10 things I came up with. We can do, there's really an unlimited amount. Sorry. But start with four and we'll keep going. But Sorry, I'm in the way, so I'm going to scoot over. But first, we can treat others how God wants them treated. So we have the Ten Commandments. And then 1 Corinthians 10.24, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. 1 Corinthians 13.4-7, through 7, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Second, treat them, treat others how you, how you want to be treated. Matthew seven, twelve. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And then in Mark 12, 28 through 31, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, but Jesus says, this, the first scribe asks him, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if we're loving God as we should, loving others should follow naturally. It's like um, in Psalms where it says, my cup runneth over. If we're loving God so much, we're going to be getting, we're going to be loving him so much. And the love is basically just going to pour over into others. It's, it's going to happen. Um, Ephesians 2, 3 through 4, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. One more quote from Paul Tripp here. Oh, here we go. Sorry, bookmarked the wrong page. It's only when I love God above all else that I'll love my neighbor as myself. And this book is talking about marriage, but I'm going to broaden the category and say all relationships at the foundational level the difficulties in our relationships do not first come because we don't love one another enough they happen because we don't love god enough and because we don't love god enough we don't treat one another with the kind of love that makes relationships work love god first and foremost love for others will follow number three well, I just want to say this one quick thing about one and two, because they are similar. Um, 
sometimes it's easy to kind of forget maybe what God commands us to do for others or maybe just kind of, oh, someone else will take care of them. But think about it. Think about yourself in, their situ- in someone else's situation. So I think sometimes, sometimes it's easier when we step into another's shoes and say, what would I be feeling like if I were in their situation? Sometimes we have been. You know, I know Mrs. Clark had breast cancer a while back. And so now when, when other people are diagnosed with that, she knows what they're going through, and she can step, come alongside them and help them with that. She does an amazing job of that. Um, number three, encourage. Add value to others. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, and 14. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you're doing. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. In Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So as I was reading that verse, I thought, you know, we know about salt in Matthew and you know so I was I was thinking about this verse and salt's a, preser- a preservative so this for me this gives a really good picture of helping others of building other people up so um, it's like a it kind of instead of tearing them down it's going to preserve them preserve them and keep them don't think of pickles when you think preserve <laughs> think like keep them where they are and um, encourage so it, or it's like a brick wall or a castle. So it's built one brick or one stone at a time. But it's torn down walls at a time. So it's so much, and it's easy, it really is easier to not give anyone encouragement, not build people up. Um, and I think sometimes it's just a habit that we don't know we have. Um, and so, I mean, I know it's easier for me. Um, but that's... It's so, so it's so rare to find somebody who encourages you and gives value um, to you or to other people. So <laughs> I have this written down as an example. What if parents were to tell children, Sally, John, Willie, or whatever, God's going to do great th- things through you. So, so and a lot of times, so much, there's so much verbal abuse in our culture a lot of times. So imagine, and I know, you know, it affects people. So what if we were to be the person who said, who is the, who somebody looks down, looks back through time in 60 years and says, you know, I remember when um, Max Clark told me this and it just changed the way I looked at things. Being encouragers can really change people's lives. Um, And one of, you know, one of the things you can do that I've found helps, um, and I got this from John Maxwell, who's a speaker, but you can just spend a couple minutes a day at the beginning of your day thinking about, you know, how can I add value to the people who I'm going to be around today? So if you're not going to leave your house, you know, you can think, well, I'm going to eat three meals and probably two of them aren't going to be made by me. So, you know, you can encourage the people who cook the meals or you can tell somebody they look great. You know, I mean, whatever it is, you can, there's, there is some way every day that you can add value to someone else. Maybe it's shoot somebody an email who you haven't seen in three weeks and say, hey, I was just thinking of you. Um, you know, notice you haven't been around. Um, miss you guys. So there are a lot of ways that we can add value to other people. Number four is be considerate and bear with others. So this is Psalm 41.1. 
Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And we really, um, in John 13, 34 through 35, says a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And verse 35 ties in with 1 John. Um, but so in a lot of people, a lot of times people know that we're different. Somehow they won't always know what, but by the love that we show for one another. Um, and I know that it's been, it's kind of fun when someone comes up to you, you know, and says like, you know, y'all are really different or y'all are fun to watch or whatever. Why, you know, why is that? Um, so people will know us by the love we show for each other. And also, um, you know, be, bear with others and be considerate. We, you never know what other people are going through, really. Um, so it's always give people the benefit of the doubt. Be patient with them. Okay, I'm going to race these real quick. The fifth one is exhort one another. And this, these references are Second Timothy four two, exhort or challenge. You could say challenge as well. Ooh, it's an A. <laughs> um. So 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be ready in, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. 1 Timothy 4.13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. So Webster's 18.28 describes the definition for exhort is to deliver exhortation, to use words or arguments to incite to good works. You know, I don't think there's ever a time when we can, when it's not beneficial to be challenged by somebody. Um, you know, at, ask deep questions um, and answer deeply. You know, maybe go home and study up on it and come back. But I think especially for younger people, my kind of my age and maybe within the, 10 years above and 10 years below, something like that. But it's important right now when, when you're developing who you are and you, you're looking for answers and the world is, is coming at you with questions. So you need to know these answers. I think it's so important that we really study up on what we, what we believe and what we know. Um, so ask deep questions, answer deeply, and get people's advice. Go to you know the Clarks or the Bairds or the approaches. I mean, any older people who can pour into you, they want to, hopefully, um, and they, it's beneficial. So, and also you can, if you're, you know, you can take advantage of um, godly men and women through technology. So I have some people that are, I would call mentors who I don't even know, um, but it, you know, you read their books, read podcasts, read. So I really think this exhorting and challenging one another is really good the Patriot Academy, amazing. I mean, it puts you through such an exercise, you know, to to really know 
I haven't been, but to know what you believe and different things about the, the social issues of today. So, and getting into the word is most important. So, okay, number six. Give. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And then Proverbs 3.20. Do not say to your neighbor, go, come again tomorrow, I'll give it, when you have it with you. Also Luke 6.38. Um, let's see. I'll write down the ones I don't read. Um, or a couple of them at least. So whatever it is that that you have to give, God's given us each something that we can share with others. So like for the approaches, we like sharing music with people. So that's what we do. Um, for, you know, the Clarks are hospitable. They have, whew, they host a lot of things at their home. <laughs> the, the, um, the Krauses bake and cook. They share their baking and cooking with people. So we all have been given something that we can share with others. Um, and it might be time, it might be money, it might just be encouragement. But God gave us his son, and I don't think we should hold back from giving other people what he's given us to share with them. Um, and this is maybe one of my top five books. Um, this, is, uh, this is John Maxwell, 15, The 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth. But in this he has a great picture here that that I just love. Um, think of yourself as a river instead of a reservoir. Most people who do make personal growth part of their lives do it to add value to themselves. They're like reservoirs that continually take in water, but only to fill themselves up. In contrast, a river flows. Whatever water it receives, it gives away. That's the way we should be as we learn and grow. So that requires an abundance mindset, a belief that we'll keep receiving. So the book's about growing personally and um, 15 things we can do to, to develop. But I love the river picture. You know, when you learn something, pass it on. Number seven is serve. Number seven is serve. Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here we go again. We have something, someone, Christ, who we should be imitating. This is just reinforced yet again. Um, so somebody might ask, well, you know, giving and serving, kind of close, kind of, if you think about it, kind of close to the same thing. Um, almost. But... Service is, I think service is different because it really requires you to lower yourself beneath someone to serve them. So, so if I'm going to go change a flat tire for somebody, you know, not a good thing if I don't want to, you know, get dirty and not, and spare them from doing that. So service, service really, I would say is, is almost an attitude of humility. I mean, you definitely should be, and hopefully that's, that's 
the attitude we have when we serve other people. Um, and then 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace, God's varied grace. So, and giving, giving sometimes isn't too painful, you know? We write the check or we say, oh yeah, bring the kids over, we'll babysit. I mean, whatever it is. But service, service oftentimes kind of maybe takes us out of our comfort zone or kind of um, makes us a little uncomfortable sometimes. Um, okay, number eight. Number eight, and this is, I would say, besides sharing the gospel with people, this is one of the most important gifts we can give to people. Um, Luke six twenty-eight and Matthew five forty-four. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for to persecute you. Pray for people you like and pray for people who you might have a hard time putting up with. Um, really, it's true. I mean, even in my own life, like if somebody maybe kind of got on my nerves a little bit or something, yes. I think Mrs. Welch might be the only person that doesn't happen to. But, <laughs> but I mean, when you pray, I mean, pray for them, really. I, it totally helps. Um, so, so um, and then let's Matthew, and this is a great one to jot down. If Luke 18, 1 through 7, that's just about, sorry, Luke 18, 1, yeah, 1 through 7. That just re- really reinforces the fact, you know, don't stop praying. Keep it up. Um, so, Corey Ten Boom, I love this quote, and it's along the lines of prayer, but she said, Any concern too small to be turned into a prayer is too small to be, ma- to be made into a burden. I like that. Any concern too small to be turned into a prayer is too small to be made into a burden. Okay. Running through these real quick. Almost done. We have number nine. Oh, number nine. This is a good one. Guard your speech. Proverbs 22.11. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as, a, as his friend. Colossians 4.6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And just one more. Titus 3.2. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Speech is, I would say, call it a weed with an ill name. Once a seed is planted, it doesn't matter how much you try to get that thing uprooted. It's gone. I mean, it's like an underground, you know, the vines that kind of like a grapevine or a weed that creeps along the ground. That's what speech is like. You can garden your head off and it's not coming. So one way we can... One way we can stop it is just don't plant the seed. It's that easy. Um, so, you know, once something's come out of your mouth, there's no getting it back. And so it only, and it really, if we're in a group and maybe something gets brought up or whatever, it only takes us to say something or walk away. We can walk away. I mean, 
gossip feels fun to do until it's about you. I didn't mean to make that rhyme, but I did. So I was like, hey, chorus for a song. Gospel, I mean, gossip is fun to do until it's about you. You know, whatever. But no, really, but it does. Gossip's a blast. But, ooh, it's not good. Not good. Um, so final one, number 10. The greatest thing I believe we can share with people. Share the gospel. Mark 13.10. Jesus talking to his disciples here. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Ephesians 6.18-20. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You want to pray for people? Number eight, pray that they would share the gospel. Pray for each other. Pray for me. Pray that we would share the gospel boldly. You know, it's, and the image comes to my mind of those huge, massive chains that crank up an anchor on a cruise ship or on uh, the Titanic. I mean, a, a massive ship. It's not like one of those little, you know, dinky chain link chains. This is huge. And that's what we should consider ourselves to be, chained with these huge chain links to the gospel. It's our really our duty to share that. Um, and the gospel is life-changing. This is just a reference. Um, Luke, I'm going to write it down because it's a pretty, I mean, it's a powerful story. Luke 8, 26 through 39. Okay. So I want to leave you with this thought. The outward demonstration of how we love others is usually a good barometer for how we're loving God. Not all the time, but often. So the lo- And the love we show others will often open doors. So then we can share the gospel with unbelievers. So gauge how you're feeling about others these days and then ask yourself, how's my walk with God lately? Don't lie to yourself. Be truthful. If it's good, awesome. But if it needs some work, don't go sit on the couch and watch TV. Do it. Start working on your relationships. All your relationships with people and God take work. Just do it. God, I pray that you would help us to love others. God, I pray that the love we show others would open doors for us to share the gospel, God. Lord, I pray that we would pray for each other, God. Lord, I pray that we would be bold to share the gospel. Um, Lord, I pray that you would keep us as we go. pray that you would speak through Mr. Welch in the next service and uh, that you would just bless our time today, God. pray that we would guard our speech and... um, Just honor and glorify you in everything we think and do and say. In your name I pray, amen.